0: listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast. An independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 221. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See you, Stok! Всем привет! hey
1: son, hey, son. hey, Jelena, welcome back! Welcome back.
2: Oh, where was I? Oh, yes, yes. Where have you been? Here here I am. (laughs) Here I am now.
0: (laughs) Good. Good to have you back. Where were you last week? You were supposed to stay home. Whatever. Never mind.
2: Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Yes, we
0: did. No. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All right. Oh, QED, guys. QED is Um, not happening. Don't tell
2: me. Don't tell me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not a big surprise, of course. You weren't supposed to come anyway. Yeah, that's true. Well, Jelena wasn't well.
2: Yeah, but why couldn't they? Why couldn't they do it online? Like, anyway. Yeah,
1: I, maybe they'll do something online. I don't know, but uh, I have not heard anything about that. But uh, I think one of the greatest thing with QED is to meet all the people.
0: Yeah, so know, online I know. wouldn't be QED. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it would have a bit of an appeal as well. Uh, definitely with the, with the content, it would be great, mm. but mm. it would definitely not be the same. And they. In the announcement that they made on the website, hmm. uh, they did specifically say that 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 one of the strengths of QED yeah. is the participants uh, socializing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they the other thing that they specifically said is that they would not be doing uh, an alternative QED just as last year. Hmm. So I don't know if it means that not even a single online video will be will be done or anything of that sort. But wow. it's quite a shame. And uh, especially that you and I, Pontus, we already have booked our accommodation.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> but you, I, can, I, I, you can cancel, right? I mean...
1: I have cancelled now. As soon as I get my money back, uh, Andras, you'll get your share.
0: <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I think it's a shame, but I do applaud the organizing committee for their healthy and responsible attitude towards this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, of course. I'm pretty sure that they put it to a very lengthy and careful consideration, and uh, then they they made... I think the right decision. Yes, of course. I didn't expect uh, anything else, unfortunately. Yeah, I think for a while we've been yeah. we've been expecting this to happen. All right. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to do to say be- before we move on to the the regular segments of the show is that last week I talked about uh, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, and um, there is a, a French researcher uh, Christian Lehmann who published a three piece uh series of articles on Ed at blog as guest posts mm. and i think it's uh important for everyone to to read because uh chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine is still making the rounds all over the internet so yeah. y- if you want to be ready to counter those ridiculous arguments that some some people make online then uh, i think it's the best way to do, do that and uh, I'm pretty sure that that is one of the reasons why Edzer Ernst made an exception with this, because he doesn't always or very rarely gives room to uh, guest posts. Usually it's himself posting articles. Yeah. But uh, this series is very good. Yep. Uh, very thorough. You should all be reading through it. What? Anything else? Anything new since last week? COVID everywhere? <laughs> Avoiding the news
2: at this stage because... Um yeah <laughs> because of that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah actually uh, it will be very obvious uh, based on uh, just listening to us as well that it's it's hard to come by anything that is not at all related to COVID-19 but uh we've been trying very hard so uh stay tuned for those and I think it's time for us to just crack on with the show right yeah Alrighty, and since Yelena is back, it's been a while since the last This Week in Skepticism. So why don't you share something interesting with us this week?
2: You're going to be very pleased to know nothing to do with COVID. (laughs) Oh, good. So did you guys know there is a a very famous ufo sighting site in poland so um so polish people have have their own a little monument even erected for the uh ufo sighting site anyway i didn't know that I don't know why, but I never thought about <laughs> Poland and UFO in the same sentence. Uh, not that, that if if aliens were to visit the land, they would avoid Poland, but you know, anyways. <laughs> so, this is something I want to mention today. Uh, happened on 10th of May, 1978. And what allegedly happened, I should have said, allegedly, sorry, allegedly
0: happened, <laughs> was... You mean you're well, not convinced? Well, according to whom? <laughs> because there are some people who are quite convinced.
2: No, not at all convinced.
0: Bloody sceptic here. Yeah? But no.
2: what did happen was, a farmer named uh, Jan Wolski yeah. was out driving a horse-drawn cart. Let me just... 1978 horse-drawn cart, really? I mean, okay, fine. Hmm. But he might have... Yeah, You when you live in the farm...
0: Yeah, rural areas in Poland were... Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, anyway, them... So
2: he was driving his cart. He was 71 years old, by the way. And then apparently the two short, as he described it, short green-faced humanoid entities jumped uh, on his cart. They were very small. He's described him as five feet, which is one point five meters tall, uh, which is like fifteen centimeters smaller than me. So that's pretty short.
0: Let's let me just say that I really doubt that a Polish person it's... would have uh, described it in feet. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just a measurement not used in Poland. That's
2: why. That's why. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of mentioning feet and meters as well. So anyway, because the, in um, okay, the yeah, information yeah. provided, there's both both provided. So, hey, but uh, but so he right, was jumped. Right. Uh, they, they, those those two green green entities jumped on his cart <laughs> um sat next to him apparently and then started talking in some um strange language high-peach uh, language that he didn't understand but he kind of kept driving <laughs> like you would,
0: <laughs> with two green dudes on your car. Green dudes on and, your car. And um, they,
2: they stopped at the place where he saw a thing hovering up in the air, like it was a meter from above the ground. What I can only imagine was an, uh, flying salsa? Fly, 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 flies a... Flying fly Flying saucer. except it wasn't. You know what he described it as? He described it as a bus. It was a flying bus. <laughs> Have you ever heard anything oh, like that in yeah. your life? I, that was quite exciting, actually. I was like, oh my god, that's a... Something different in, in this.
1: So that's how they got to Earth. They took the bus from Alpha Centauri or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. So anyways, so they got they got to the bus, to uh, to this long hovering bus. And so this Volsky guy um, uh, described what, what it was looking like, shiny and metally and whatever. There were some objects flying and buzzing inside the bus. But anyway, so he was taken aboard of this bus. Uh, And he was uh, apparently... He was gestured to Undress because obviously they didn't understand the language. And then he was apparently prodded... Uh, with some tools and um, uh, and then after the after the experiment or tests, whatever they were, he was ordered to dress and then um, just let, let let back out mm-hmm. into the daylight. So um, and then he hopped hopped back on his cart
1: and he continued his
2: yeah and off he went to his off he went to his village. <laughs> right, and then and when he got to the village, he of course told all of the people of the village that he just got abducted by the aliens who did some tests on him. And they got everybody got excited and went back to the place kind of immediately, and found that the grass in the area was patted down, so as if there was something on that area, and there were lots of like signs of of feet on the ground. But of course, there was no uh, flying bus in the air or anything like that.
1: Why would a flying um, bus make,
0: make a, a
1: mark on the <laughs> yeah on the grass if it was flying? <laughs>
2: There is a lot of wise. Yeah, in this oh,
0: probably party. the wheels. The wheels would have made tracks <laughs> the, or something think, like that. I don't think it had... The wheels, there was you had... for, for with wheels? No, obviously. If no, it's a flying no. bus, a flying bus has to have wheels. No, it didn't have... A, the picture doesn't
2: have wheels. It's a in one of the articles that I found. You'll, oh, there's you, a picture. Yeah, you'll see. If it's in the paper. It's in the Polish paper describing the occurrence ah. but anyways one of the ufo researchers uh, or ufologists they called uh, got hold of this story and he just ran with it <laughs> made it super popular uh attracted lots of attention in fact he ended up writing a book about this i can imagine he probably earned a dollar or two or whatever the equivalent in poland was at the time <laughs> zloty
0: yes zloty, um, yeah. still is
2: so oh, yeah yeah of course, but anyways, and it became this this very super popular place of uh, convention place uh, for people who believe in UFOs from all over the world. So much so that at some point, uh, the local government erected this monument. <laughs> it, it's an interesting one, you know. Um, in two thousand and five, by the way, they just did it, commemorating the alleged visit of aliens to this Emil Sin, this this place in Poland called. But so was what was interesting? Uh, one of the more believable, I would say, theories that came out of this was that um, this whole incident came out from two ufologists uh, trying to get back at each other. So two ufologists, one ufologist called Zdislav Blanje, who ended up publishing the article in the newspaper, writing a book, doing lots of wonderful things um, and earning lots of money. And the other one was Vitlov Vavrzonek, Anyway, so they had uh, some sort of a, a bet about hypnosis and one of them hypnotized the other and the other one didn't like it and so they uh, <laughs> this 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 vavrsonic guy said, "Hey, I'm going to hypnotize somebody and make them believe they've been abducted by aliens." And guess what? Not long after that, the seventy-one-year-old dude appeared, ah. saying that he saw aliens. But Blanier knew that, and he knew that it's probably a con. But before it, it, it was it, people were able to discredit it. He just ran with the story and kind of uh, was like, you know, all better for it. So <laughs> I like that story.
0: Interesting. I like that. Ha- yeah, when when the, when the old fuck appeared at the, at the the pub and started telling the story to everyone, <laughs> then it was unstoppable from that moment yeah, on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I and I and I think I believe that story more than some uh that that a bunch of green entities landing in a bus in the middle of Poland. But you know, each to their own, there's still people too, who believe this. And um, no
0: why it sounds interesting. I think it's <laughs> wicked meets uh, space balls, like kinda uh... Giant space bus that's <laughs> traveling through the galaxy.
2: I don't understand why the bus, though, right? Because they could have hypnotized them to to, to talk about the usual shape of the flying saucer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I
0: don't know. It might be something to do with the fact that. Um, do you remember Space Balls? With uh, John Candy and, Brooks yeah, and, and Mel Brooks yes. and uh, Bill Pullman. I didn't.
2: Yeah, I don't think I watched it.
0: Anyway, John Candy mm-hmm. was part Polish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> by the way, I see uh, th- a pattern here. Yeah, the problem is that I think the movie was a bit uh, later than 1978, um, mm. but uh, not not sure about that. Probably, probably 87 or something. Okay.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, a lot of Polish people are really proud of that that they have their own alien visit yeah so uh you can't take that away from them
0: and, and who knows it could have been uh, ma brooks uh taking the idea of a space bus <laughs> based on a true from story, that incident uh, based on a true story but, but, but yeah.
2: i'm telling you this bus picture is worth a hundred words yeah it, it actually doesn't even look like a bus it looks like a box with a window anyway <laughs> you'll see what i mean all right
0: well thank you very much Elena. all right thank you very much nice stories there And we're moving on to that very exciting moment when Pontus starts poking the Pope again. Scandal. Yep.
1: All right. So uh, remember when Francis, I think it was about a month ago, he instructed the local diocese in Rome to keep a few churches open, which I've said at the time was against all logic and against what had been announced by the local bishop. Uh, Actually, that's not right because... Technically, the Pope is the Bishop of Rome, but he has delegated it to another guy. Anyway, I pointed out at the time that it was even worse than keeping all the churches open because this meant that you only had a few. Remaining open churches where everybody would be crowded up. So so um, mm. not a good idea. And it seems like Frankie has come around and realized that he was wrong.
2: He listens to you, Pontus.
1: <gasps> he, I'm sure he listens every week. <laughs> so despite repeated appeals from the official assembly of the bishops in Italy... Uh, the Italian prime minister, Giuseppe Conte, did not agree to ease restrictions on holding public masses as part of the so-called phase two of the Italian COVID-19 response. And when that didn't happen, the bishops put out a testy note stating that, quote, the Italian bishops cannot accept seeing the exercise of freedom of worship compromised, end quote. And one Italian bishop, Giovanni Dercole, issued a video message in which he declared, quote, this is a dictatorship to impede access to worship, which is one of our fundamental freedoms. But here's where Frankie comes in. He came back a few days later in one of his uh, online prayers. Uh, by, and he mentioned the phase two. And he, he was calling for, quote, prudence and obedience, end quote, clearly referring to do what you're told. So maybe he said something good for once, and good for him. He basically told the bishops to get their act together and behave. So good for him. So that uh, actually, I, I approve of him this week a little bit. So you didn't, you didn't quite poke him. No. Oh. But, but, he, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you about another thing because he has other problems to tackle than than unruly bishops. Uh, In early April, the Vatican unlocked an archive from a very troubling time for the church, namely concerning Pius XII, sometimes known as Hitler's Pope. Uh, For years, there have been speculations about how much Pius XII knew about the Holocaust and the persecution of Jews in Nazi Germany. Pius XII, or as his real name was eugenio maria giuseppe giovanni pacelli i like <laughs> I love, this i love that uh, uh, why would you change that to pious oh. i think you should be eugenio maria giuseppe giovanni pacelli the first
0: <laughs> i think you know you know how they uh, choose their names uh no not really uh they all choose their names based on uh, who they uh consider themselves the followers of who they like so uh th- yeah. this is why uh, Pope Francis is the first one who has ever used the name Francis and he he's he chose that name for uh San Francesco d'Assisi. Um yeah. Francis from St Francis of Assisi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is quite controversial
1: because he uh, Francis of Assisi uh talked about uh, uh poverty and as a good thing and, and uh, uh none of the other popes have wanted to go down that road. Yes. Uh anyway, Back to this Pope, he uh, Pagelli. He was the Pope <laughs> between nineteen thirty nine and nineteen fifty eight. But he never spoke up against the Nazis. And the official excuse have been for all these years that he didn't know about the mass murdering um, that was going on at the time. <laughs> Did he live under a rock? <laughs> you know, this is during the war. After the war, of course, everybody knew about uh, okay. it. But uh, during when it started, he, he, he claims he never heard about that. Uh, And what, what has been acknowledged all the time, though, is that he was contacted by American diplomats in 1942 who asked him at that time if he had any independent reports to confirm what the Americans had learned about what was going on in Germany. So by that time, he heard it from the Americans, but Pius replied at the time that he had no such reports. Now, unfortunately, the archives of Pius XII have been closed up again just after one week because of the pandemic. But one German researcher called Hubert Wolf uh, had time to have a look at those, although briefly. And he now reports that his team have found evidence that Pius actually did have several independent reports about the persecutions at the time before the Americans told him about it. But he chose not to say anything about it. According to Wolf... The Pope's advisors at the time told him not to trust the reports he had received because they came from, quote, Jews and Orientals, end quote, who were prone to exaggerations and dishonesty. So I should I should clarify, Orientals in this context doesn't mean Asian people. It means actually the Greek Orthodox Christians because that's how they referred to them All right. somehow. But basically what he was told, we cannot trust the bloody Orthodox and the Jews, so we'll pretend that we haven't heard anything. So that's a bit controversial. Mm -hmm. Francis hasn't commented on this yet, and I don't think he really wants to. Mm -hmm. But some people within the church have criticized these new findings and said that they're very, very implausible. This can't be right. And we don't know for sure right now. But when the pandemic is over and the archives can be accessed again, we may find out uh, how it really was. But my prediction is that uh, this will become another headache for poor Frankie. So Hitler's
0: Pope, it may all be true. Uh, well, yes, and probably, but, but I think it's a bit more complicated than that. So uh, if I can give you a little bit of um, context to all that. Mm-hmm. Pius the 12th uh, uh, came to the throne of uh, the the Vatican in 1939. Mm-hmm. And before him it was Pius the 11th and Pius XI made the Treaty of Lateran with uh, um, Benito Mussolini. And that basically outlined uh the the borders of the Vatican and gave him the role as the ruler of Vatican so which mm-hmm. is a state of the uh, a city state and then the pope and mussolini had even under uh, pope uh, Pius XII they had a very strong relationship mm-hmm. and uh, he condemned the stalinist russia for example the pope mm-hmm. and he condemned communism and uh, he tried, at the beginning, there are sources, quite reliable sources, actually, that say that uh, he tried to persuade Mussolini not to join the Nazi Germany uh, in the war. Uh-huh. But then, I don't know if you're aware of that, but in 1943, the Nazis occupied Rome. Yeah. So they basically marched into Rome, and, and they occupied most, most of the country, and... That meant that he vo- he was sitting in his enclave, <laughs> which was the Vatican, in the middle of, of Rome and had nothing to do against the the Nazis. Uh, so I'm not saying and I'm not trying to defend him. I'm not saying that he was innocent in, in this whole situation, but I don't see too much that he could have done in the situation that he was in. No,
1: all, all, I understand all of that. But the Catholic Church has always denied that Pius XII knew anything. And that <laughs> that's a different P- thing. <laughs> Pius XII is gone since a long time back, yes, right? Yes, so, yes. So uh, uh, they didn't want to tarnish his memory, I guess. But, uh, yeah, reputation. Uh, uh,
0: lying isn't good, is it? No, it is. It is not. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So thank you very much, Pontus. Okie dokie. And yeah, I think. I think we all know what's coming. Uh, that is when we turn to the news. Uh, obviously, we're going to be we're going to have a lot of uh, news items um, circling around uh, COVID-19 because everything is dominated by COVID-19 these these days. And um, if some countries uh, are, are looking at uh, ways to, to come out of this. Uh, they call it, uh, for some countries, like like uh, in Italy, they call it phase two, mm-hmm. uh, what's coming now. And, uh, well, phase one was how to tackle the, the pandemic and uh, the, the Italian part of it. But phase two will be probably even more difficult part, how to get the economy moving. So, who knows, we might end up seeing um sweden as the great example in the end Mm. of how not to ruin your economy while (laughs) trying to tackle the virus yeah could be so we'll see we'll see what the outcomes will be but we definitely have a lot of fake news we have a lot of uh, myth and misinformation uh, making around so i do think we have a lot to talk about
2: I have a bit of fake news for you all to start the show off with, and um, it is about actually a vaccination trial that is happening in Oxford University in England. Um, there's a lot of vaccination trials for COVID uh, happening all around the world. Yeah. And uh, apparently the fake news circulated that one of the scientists who was the first one to volunteer to be the uh, participant of this trial, her name is Dr. Elisa Granato. Died the day after she uh, participated in the trial. Well, that was all a lot of bollocks. She is uh, alive and well, and didn't die. And her Twitter now states uh, very funnily. I, I think it's very funny. Doctor Eliza Granato, hundred percent alive.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> but are, are is it isn't that because because they they're not supposed to tweet or contact the outside world while the trial is going on. So isn't that the only thing that she could do? That, that she could not, could not <laughs> update her couldn't the even, Twitter her, She could never update her own death. <laughs> she,
2: she actually had a conversation with somebody um, two days after her death was announced on Skype, and then this conversation video was posted on, on for people to see it, as if to say, look, she's fine, nothing happened. But it's, it's just so unhelpful, right? Anyways, yeah. the University of Oxford uh, since then came out with the following statement, and I quote, We are aware there have been and will be rumors and false reports about the progress of the trial. We urge people not to give these any credibility and not to circulate them. We will not be offering a running commentary about the trial, but all official updates will appear on this site. End of quote. I mean, it's obvious what they're saying. (laughs) Of course, nobody's going to be like holding people's hands and saying, and today we did. This, and then we did that but like <laughs> just don't say that people are dead when they're not bloody dead but also like yeah. um this this is i know that um, i've heard a lot about the um uh, troll farms and people just generating this uh controversy for the sake of clicks so yeah. i don't know if it's gonna help anything this statement yeah. but um f- just don't don't believe the scrap basically <laughs> yeah
1: I, I think the anti-vaxxers have to invent these things now because they don't have an actual vaccine to to talk badly about. So they, they invent these stories and they, they try to build up. This anti-vaccine st- sentiment. Yeah,
0: more on that later. But actually, that, yeah, that's that's an issue that we have to face now. That uh, they are trying to uh, make the the, the rose bad for for all the w- I tell you what. all their upcoming anti-vax sentiments. So they're setting the table up. Mm-hmm.
2: When the vaccines are out for COVID nineteen, all of the anti-vaxxers can fuck off. They don't have to have them. They can just. Skip no. the
0: vaccines. Yeah,
2: I'll be happy with that. That's
1: a good idea. We we don't need the ninety five percent vaccination coverage that we do with measles. Probably around <laughs> sixty or something. Exactly. So we can exclude them. They don't have to have the.
2: Don't come over. We don't care. Yeah.
0: Good. Oh well. Oh, all yeah. well. right.
2: We're so nice, and we're supposed to be nice. Actually,
0: just just one thing that I wanted to say that about this uh, trial and uh, the anti-vax sentiment and all that madness going on. Um, I think it's very well summed up by. Stephen Novella on uh, Neurological uh, blog. I really love that when he says that we're going to science the shit out of this virus. <laughs> <laughs> this is in the, in the history of um, large scale epidemics and pandemics. It is the most studied virus and the most studied epidemic. There are s- uh, thousands of ongoing trials and ongoing studies uh, with this, which is amazing. I cannot emphasize this enough. How much in awe i am about this and the other the other part that he he talks about is how that our mental difficulties with uh just wrapping our heads around this and how psychologically speaking we are suffering and that controls us and that makes us say and do stupid stuff uh, and that hinders that progress that science is supposed to bring about so yeah that's I think it's worth reading, so uh, definitely we'll include uh, the links on the show notes.
1: Okie dokie. I have a follow-up from last week. Uh, I gave YouTube a hard time last week for allowing David Icke to continue to spread dangerous nonsense (laughs) about how 5G causes Covid-19 and other stupid things. Among other things, he also claimed that a Jewish group was behind the virus, of which is appalling to say. Ugh. It's also very confusing, because I think he claimed also that there is no virus. <laughs> yeah, at some
0: point it did,
1: yeah. <laughs> so how can they be behind a virus? That doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and because the illness was due to the 5G tests, not to a virus. Uh, and which again, if it is the 5G, Tests. How come there are uh, COVID nineteen cases in places where there's no five G? Don't ask um, these kind
2: of reasonable uh, <laughs> questions. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's
1: just bullshit. Anyway, that's not that's what I talked about last week. But this week, I think perhaps uh, YouTube administrators have listened to the show because the day after we <laughs> released our, our episode, uh, they indeed did close David Icke's YouTube channel, just like I called for. So now he's gone from YouTube, and good riddance. Mm-hmm. He's not just a delusional nut job; he is a dangerous delusional nut job. He's spreading racist and repulsive ideas, and he's more or less directly urging people to act in very harmful ways, like burning five G towers and threatening five G engineers. And. The risk, of course, now is that he and his followers will call that this is censorship and an attack on his free speech, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But there are limits to what you should be allowed to invent and spread. Also, whatever he says, let's remember this. No free speech rights have been violated in this case. No one can force YouTube or anyone else to help in promoting these dangerous ideas. YouTube is not the government. YouTube is a private company, and as such, they are quite free to choose what they are willing to host on their services. Yeah, that's Mm.
2: right. Yeah, I think there's a debate going on about YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Are, Are they utilities? Are they public utilities? Because if they are public utilities, they can't. But if they're not, then they can. Yeah. But um, yeah,
0: no. Privately owned public utilities. <laughs> yeah, it's a new thing, really. <laughs> well, so uh, like yeah. everybody's
2: got right to have water and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And Facebook.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think internet is a utility. It,
2: no, well, that, that is, that is, that is. But yeah. um, right, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Facebook is just so. Without Facebook, a lot of people would not. Be hooked on the internet all the time, but I think it would be probably be a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You you are not doing a lot of Facebooking yourself, are you?
2: I haven't been for the past two years. Yeah, I've gone off Facebook years ago. But
0: uh, that doesn't mean that you deactivated your account or anything you're just you're just not using it right
2: yeah i haven't used it does it deactivate automatically i don't know no
0: no it doesn't i don't think so no i think it's still there yeah you're still there you still exist
2: the, the problem is guys <laughs> is all the pictures and storyline they keep right and then you go
0: oh yeah
2: i've uploaded hundreds of thousands that's how they cook you up
0: <laughs> <laughs> well uh just mentioning david ike last night Um, a very good friend of mine, she's um, involved with a lot of uh, mummy groups all around the internet as well, and uh, she sent me a very lengthy Facebook post, and it was a translation of one of David Icke's talks. Oh, Jesus. And now it's circulating, and it gets so many likes, and people just love it, and people nod at it, that that there is something to it, and uh, it's worth considering and sharing it forward. (sighs) So... The the man has to be stopped.
2: Is that about still about the five G the crap that's circulating for?
0: Yeah, mostly that. Right. But he he's not only focusing on five G. He he does it a of lot of. I don't think he focuses he like- at all. Actually, he goes from thing to thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: <yes. laughs> Good point. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever conspiracy theory you Which can come he, up with, yeah. and he comes across. I think. He- I think
1: he just opens his mouth and starts talking, and whatever comes out. I think he's just as surprised as
0: anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. And after a while, it feels to him like uh, reality. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Anyhow. We've already covered a few angles uh, of uh, what lockdown means and, and what issues emerge out of it. But uh, one aspect of COVID-19 we haven't really talked about yet is uh, how it may set back large-scale immunization programs against common VPDs or vaccine-preventable diseases. And again, the World Health Organization steps in and calls on countries to make sure their schedules are maintained wherever possible. The Office for the Europe region published an article on their website on the 27th of April pointing out that when the pandemic hit Europe, especially Italy, a large-scale repurposing of medical personnel because of the ever-growing demand for healthcare services, meant that most of those working with infectious diseases, and especially immunisation, were forced to work with COVID-19 patients. Mm. So they could not have fulfilled their duties as usual in administering the jabs. Right. And when the lockdown came, it really made things worse in that regard because the people they would have had to administer the jabs to had to stay at home. Mm. So they had no chance of meeting at all. Uh, While in some parts of Italy, the immunization programs were attempted to go unaltered, in the region of Lombardy, that was the worst-hit part of the country, regional authorities advised routine vaccinations to be temporarily suspended back in February. Since then, the services have been fully resumed, and now they're playing catch-up, actually, because some parts of the country have not been reached yet. Luckily for Italy, however, the WHO's European Office for Investment for Health and Development is situated in Venice, Mm. and they are providing direct expert support to the country's fight against COVID-19, but will be in the front line regarding Italy's turning back to the routine immunization schedules as well which is, I have to remind you, was a fragile thing anyway. You may remember how strong the opposition was when they announced they made Mm -hmm. the measles vaccination compulsory to avoid further escalation of the outbreaks, right? Mm. So there were actually people out in the street demonstrating against this and demanding hearings and demanding that they get the choice about their uh, children's vaccination schedules. Now, this immunisation situation varies across Europe. But some countries, as we have been reporting in the last few years, have been struggling to clean up the mess caused by vaccine-preventable diseases that popped up here and there, basically everywhere across Europe. Mm. In the last few years, we've seen a couple of outbreaks, especially of measles, that Shook some of the countries in Europe
2: that Pontus relentlessly reported on.
0: Oh yeah, we oh, for a long time it was almost almost as frequent as our our COVID nineteen updates. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it, actually I've, I have looked into it a little bit, but it, it's it's the short story is it's getting better, uh, much better the measles yeah. outbreaks. But we will come back up to that on another thing. I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. So basically, we don't hear. Too much about those situations now, because everything seems to be overshadowed mm. by COVID-19 and the healthcare systems are massively overwhelmed anyway. But those VPDs, the vaccine-preventable diseases, don't just sit around waiting for the novel coronavirus to finish its rounds. <laughs> they are present. They are a threat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And we can only imagine what it would be like to see a large outbreak of measles mm. in the middle of this pandemic. Mm, 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 mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, or any other uh, vaccine-preventable disease. This is like at the back of my mind because I, I was aware of the shortage of the uh, routine immunization for a while. I'm like, shit, are we heading towards this um, yeah. situation where yeah. everything hits the fan, and then
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. But in the short term, a lot of the things we're doing to stop the spread of COVID-19 also stops the other diseases. As long as we're in lockdown and and wash our hands and stuff. Uh, then that helps as well. But only until we stop doing that and we go out on the streets again and then and nobody's immunized and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Could be bad. Exactly.
2: Well, may- maybe the solution is to never go out again. Hmm.
0: Ah. Okay. <laughs> uh, that was suggested by a couple of people, actually, and <laughs> some experts as well. Mm. So, yeah, it's obviously that the lockdown situation prevented people from, from immunizing their children, but at the, at the same time, Transmitting VPDs is minimal because of all that. So Mm. once restrictions are lifted, we have a problem. And uh, the bottom line is that WHO tries to prevent that from happening. But there will be those who are completely unwilling to comply, especially with all those crazy conspiracy theories making rounds. Somehow, I doubt that this pandemic situation will have a positive effect in people's willingness to get their children, or themselves, for that matter, vaccinated. Mm. Some sources are optimistic. Mm. I've read an article on the conversation the other day that that was basically one of those but i see the anti-vax groups not sitting on their butt either Mm. they are successfully spreading misinformation and even before a vaccine can be administered against COVID 19 they already dismissing it so no
2: don't don't have it don't have it whatever yeah like yeah Yeah. (laughs) as you said earlier i I am a little bit i I am i think i'm on an optimistic side i think it'll teach us a lesson but yeah yeah it it might be one way or
1: the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's now been demonstrated what a world looks like with a disease on the loose, yes. which we don't have a vaccine against. So a, a lot of a lot of people may have uh, had reason to rethink their position. That's what
2: I'm hoping for. Yeah. Not all
1: of them, I'm, sh- I'm sure. Yeah,
0: and the countries were not ready when this whole thing the shit hit the fan. So even though a lot of the countries. Were piling up all the data and experts were uh, advising the, the government. But the politicians, and this is, again, we're going back to the same thing again, that, come on, we need more science-literate people in politics. Hmm. Because the, the one of the problems is that when we are talking about risk management, these people have no idea what that means and what, on the different sides of the argument, uh, what's what. They have no freaking idea. And there are those who are open-minded enough to surround themselves with experts who can advise them well, but there are those like Trump, like Orban, who don't like experts around them because... They are smarter than them, and they cannot bear that at all. No, no they don't want the
1: people that are smarter than them. <laughs> um,
0: ironic thing, you know what week was last week? No, what week? It was World Immunization Week. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, it is
2: ironic. <laughs> and
0: uh, there was an event at which the Director General of the WHO had to speak up against anti-vaxxers, uh, spreading fear and myths, uh, actually worsening an even bad situation uh, further. By the way, and I'd like to finish on this, There was a recent update to possibly the greatest systematic review of measles, mumps, rubella and varicella vaccinations that was done in 2005 and then updated first in 2012 and now it was updated again just a month ago. And they have actually reinforced the conclusions that vaccinations can provide huge benefits In avoiding these illnesses, while adverse effects commonly attributed to these jabs by anti-vaxxers could not be linked to any of these vaccines. Hmm. In some of the cases, a correlation could not be found at all, and in others uh, there's simply no sufficient evidence to determine the association between the vaccine and the disease. So once again, the science is clear, but that has never stopped anti-vaxxers ever since Mr. Wakefield started the, his crusading against public health. Yeah. Screw him, I say. Mm-hmm. Get vaccinated that if you're stuck at home, but a jab would be timely. Make sure that you consult your GP. Vaccination is important for you and for others.
2: If only there was a way to just get all the anti-vaxxers and, and, and sort of uh, transport them to an island. That would be a great experiment. And see how the, kind of, that society progresses versus the vaccinated people. Mm -hmm. uh so so you know how you start your day and you know the sun is out and you can go out we here in seattle we can go out and enjoy sun so you think that life is not that bad and then you read the article about spanish beaches being sprayed with bleach and you go that's not (laughs) acceptable (laughs) this is completely who done it (laughs) i actually thought it was a piece of fake news thinking maybe trump has something to do with it i don't know (laughs) But it's actually happened. I'm so sad. Super sad. Uh, So Zahara de los Atunes near Cadiz, um, they sprayed uh, more than two kilometers of the beach with a bleach solution. A day before the Spain allowed all the kids uh, out of the lockdown for the first time. Of course, environmentalists uh, raised hell because, first of all, this is just the most obvious shit. The virus is not on a fucking beach. It's on a person. And it transmits to a person. Anyway, doesn't matter. It's on a beach. It's on a beach. <laughs> on a
1: beach, not on a <laughs> it's, it's, beach. Uh, all right.
2: But yeah. So so what they did, of course, they 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 were talking about how much damage this caused, and uh, this process killed the whole ecosystem, destroyed everything. For for people who know nothing about nothing, of course, for them. The, 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 that that piece of land just seems empty but actually there's a lot of life going on the bugs and the nests and whatever else so that's all gone now yeah congratulations by the way but uh,
0: you know it must have been a trump-like situation it's like insane someone someone read an article about the bleaching of the coral the coral bleachings and he said and <laughs> a light came on <laughs> and, and- that's the solution. <laughs> I don't even know
2: what the hell was running through their minds, but apparently the local official Agustín Conejo admitted it was a wrong move. No, you think?
1: No, yeah, and but he didn't resign.
2: <laughs> I don't know actually. It doesn't say. The article doesn't specify. Should have. Mister Conejo said, "I admit this was a mistake. It was done with the best intentions," <laughs> and he also said that they had wanted to protect children who were coming to see the sea after six weeks in, in confinement. Gee. So. I don't know. It's disheartening. I like my day was going really well up until this point. Yeah.
1: Speaking of confinement, I think he should get some confinement now, like six yeah. months in jail or something. That that this is a criminal offense. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It should absolutely be. Absolutely anyway. terrible. Yeah, and it was good intention. But it, uh, oh, how oh, does oh. the saying go? Is like the road to hell exactly, is paved exactly. Exactly.
2: That's nothing with, to do with uh,
0: any... good intentions. With bleach. Bleach <laughs> with <laughs> paved with bleach.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, All right. More nonsense. Okay. <laughs> Bring it on. No, we don't want any more. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Time and again, we hear rumors about that the SARS-CoV-2 virus was manufactured and deliberately or by mistake released into the public. So so this is a recurring theme in, in current conspiracy theories. And therefore, some nutters have gone bananas over the fact that a patent filed by the Pasteur Institute in Paris have been discovered, and it concerns a coronavirus. And, indeed, there is such a patent. It was filed all the way back in February 2004. And it actually does talk uh, about, quote, the invention of a SARS-related coronavirus, end quote. Really? But, luckily, there is also the French Skeptics Association, AFIS, to sort out that the real story is quite different. They wrote about this on their webpage and we will of course link to that. Um, So this is what it's all about. Hmm. The patent does use the term invented, but in the legal jargon of uh, French patents that should be understood as discovered, not as invented. That's how they describe it. It doesn't refer to SARS-CoV-2, which is responsible for the current pandemic, but a minor variant of the original SARS-CoV virus, which was behind the SARS epidemic in 2002 and 2003. Uh, The patent describes the determination of the complete genome and the construction of molecular biology tools that makes it possible to study the virus and develop a prototype vaccine. So they didn't go forward with that, but they they did demonstrated things on how to do that. So if you hear this story from Conspiracy Nuts, the existence of this patent does not prove that SARS-CoV-2 or any other coronavirus is artificial. What it does prove is that the Pasteur Institute did its job and set out to study the possibility of creating a vaccine against the previous SARS virus. And it's good to have the skeptics, just like Afis, to sort out what is fact
0: and what is fiction. Yeah, good job. All right. I think now with all the COVID-19 related uh, news items out of the way, I think it's time for us to talk about something else. The Heinz Oberhümer Award is not unknown to our listeners, I think, because in the last five years since it's been running, we have always reported the laureates of the current year. And this year is no exception. So the award is named after the late Heinz Oberhummer, who was an Austrian physicist and skeptic, who, apart from being an acclaimed researcher in the field of uh, nucleosynthesis, one of his favorite pastime activity was science popularization and picking on pseudoscience. Hmm, Fancy that. That's quite fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was also one of the founders of Science Busters, an Austrian organization coordinating the work of science educators and mythbusters. Sadly, Oberhumer died on the 24th of November 2015, but in 2016, the next year, the first award bearing his name was presented for science communication. It's an international recognition, and the first to receive it was James Randi. Heard of him? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably all our listeners have. Uh, it was followed by Julia Anders next year, uh, then Adam Savage, and no such thing as a fish mm. in twenty nineteen. Uh, 2019. The award comes with twenty thousand euros and a trophy of alpaca excrement. <laughs> huh? Yeah,
2: that's
0: right. <laughs> uh, what now? <laughs> <laughs> it has no. It has no special meaning. It has no special meaning. and only attests to the fact that Heinz Oberhümer was a great admirer of alpacas.
1: Or it's excrement. all a joint.
0: Or excrement. (laughs) Actually, if you look up alpaca excrement, some uh, gardening uh, websites claim that it's it's a very good fertilizer. The only problem is that they're quite dry. So you basically have to water it up a little bit. So uh, some even go as as far as to say that they should probably make a tea out of it and then sprinkle that tea on the soil. (laughs) Don't drink it, don't drink it. No, don't drink it, don't drink it, don't drink it. it. Uh So going back to the award, it's all a joint initiative of a couple of institutions. It's quite a list, actually. It's obviously Science Busters, the University of Graz, uh, which was his alma mater, the Technical University of Vienna, where he worked as a scientist and teacher, the Austrian Federal Ministry of Science, ORF TV, Radio FM4, and the City of Vienna. Uh, so that's quite a joint initiative. But finally, who gets this year's award? Well, her name is Mai T Nguyen Kim, and I'm pretty sure that I totally butchered her name. Sorry about that. She's a German chemist, uh, science journalist, and edutainer who produces the award-winning YouTube channel MyLab. She has an impressive research career going on, uh, while she's also incredibly successful as a science communicator. She produces her content in German, unfortunately, but um, unfortunately those who don't speak German. But uh, she's no stranger to English, having studied at MIT and Harvard as well. She's a daughter of Vietnamese parents, And she's surrounded by chemists. Her father, her brother, and her husband are all chemists, to mention just a few. She seems to be a lovely character as well as a brilliant communicator who can talk about stuff in an engaging and easily digestible fashion. And she's being praised for that as well uh, very widely. And this is one of the reasons... um, in the interpretation given as uh, why she was given the award mm. the award ceremony will take place in vienna city hall which i have to say is a mind-blowingly beautiful building if you haven't seen it go and see it as soon as you can <laughs> and yeah. it will be held on the day of uber death on the 24th of november so congratulations to my since i heard about the award I'm even more regretful that I don't understand German properly because Mm. the stuff that she talks about seems absolutely fascinating. I watched some of her stuff with uh, subtitles, English subtitles, um, and she's just wonderful. I think she's a brilliant communicator, so it seems like a well-deserved award.
2: Well, and the award will be, the ceremony will go ahead if, by November we're all back to normal, right? Yeah,
0: I think by November we, well... Don't take predictions from a podcast, no. We might no. have a second <laughs> wave at them.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Who all knows? Or yeah. third, yeah. Everyone makes predictions because we want to find a way to go about things, so yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, I think it's just normal.
2: Um, I've seen something about Sylvia Brown predicting this uh, 2020...
0: <laughs> That's a different thing. Did
2: you see it? It's... Um,
0: no. Yes, yes, yes. What did she predict <laughs>
1: Uh, the, sorry, co- no, no. the
0: coronavirus outbreak in 2020. Oh, boy. Mm, yeah, obviously. After the fact,
1: it's easier mm. to predict things. All right. I have another uh, short follow-up, non-coronavirus uh, related. Raise B for that. From uh, episode 2000. 2000. From episode 2000. Whew. It's from the future. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. From episode 202, where we talked about how certain doctors in Germany were trying to buy good online reviews by shady companies, as if those reviews were from real patients. I didn't go into detail at the time, but the the original article talked about an ophthalmologist in Hesse uh, as one of those doctors. And guess what? There is new news uh, now from Germany concerning, quote ophthalmologist in Hesse. And this time, the ophthalmologist has lost the case in the Frankfurt Higher Regional Court for trying to have bad online reviews removed. Mm. So I'm sure this is the same person. It must be. First, trying to buy good reviews, and when that couldn't (laughs) work (laughs) out, trying to get bad reviews uh, removed instead. Well, the court said that if Reviews are given online and it is by a real patient who has been treated by that particular doctor. The doctor is not allowed to have these reviews deleted. So, um, well, none of the articles mentioned the specific name of this person. So I'm just guessing that's the same, but... uh uh, I think there is one doctor in Hesse who is very passionate about keeping their online reviews in tip-top shape, <laughs> either by faking good new, good reviews or having bad ones deleted. Unfortunately for them, both options have now been stopped in court. Um, so if you're a doctor, you have to be prepared to take the good with the bad when it comes to online reviews. No fakie fakie. At least
0: not in Germany. Just a hint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want your reviews to be all polished and very nice, then try to g- do a good job. <laughs> That's as, a better- as a doctor, yeah, yeah. And, and get Because good you're reviews. not doing very well in the court, so, so <laughs> yeah. Don't be try to be a lawyer, yeah. And to finish on, just a quick thing. Usually we share stuff that's happening with uh, Spanish skeptics as well uh, on uh, Escepticos, the, the website for one of the skeptical organizations, ARP APC. And... Uh, It's about logical fallacies. We have mentioned it before, I think, that uh, thanks to a guy named uh, David Revilla, there is a collection of um, logical fallacies drawn up. So they have very nice graphical interpretations as well and uh, nice images that uh, uh, they explain how uh, a certain um, logical fallacy works. And... uh, It's just an example of how small additions to a feature already there can uh, change a lot. So now they can share individual pictures from that website. Originally, it wasn't the case. Now they can share the individual pictures, uh, so they added a new feature of uh, sharing them. Mm. But I would like to add something. I would discourage everyone from... uh, just throwing in logical fallacies in an argument situation <laughs> <laughs> because it's counterproductive and that has been demonstrated on many many occasions and i still have friends uh, mostly atheists who argue in that way so i when i whenever i no, don't do that pose something about god those atheist friends of mine they are quick to just jump right at the logical fallacies applied by the other side and uh, and throw in those links <laughs> your logical fallacy is.com oh, oh I don't know what what it is yeah so it's a good thing it's educational it's there there are very funny and very nice uh, pictures there uh, that they used to explain so check it out mm, very good.
2: do you remember when we used to do a segment on logical fallacies those were the good days <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah 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 but it's done by so many so i yeah 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 all right so that has been all the news that we wanted to share with you dear listeners of ours so it's time for us to find out who's been really wrong lately actually yeah somebody has been really right oh fantastic yeah so
1: today's award was suggested by listener bob who contacts us from time to time about uh, things that we may want to cover on the show we appreciate that very much and if you hear something don't hesitate to get in touch Info at the
0: ESP.eu. Indeed. I I have an initiative to make. I think we should name Bob our official news provider by (laughs) by this time. So he's provided us with so much material. It's very nice. Anyway, as we know,
1: the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, has over the last couple of years taken a firmer stand against the nonsense of homeopathy. Mm -hmm. In large part, I assume, due to the information campaign from the Good Thinking Society, not only have the NHS phased out public funding for homeopathy, I think almost all of it is gone now. Yeah. When oh, I mean, a couple of years ago, it was estimated to be a couple of million pounds. And I say estimated because the NHS didn't keep track specifically on the spending of homeopathy. But due to the work of the Good Thinking Society and our friend Marsh, Michael Marshall, financial numbers were collected from each local NHS organization. But not only that the NHS has also in various ways become clearer in their communication about homeopathy so On their website, you can find an excellent page on homeopathy detailing what it is, the history of it, the fundamental ideas behind it, and why it has no scientific background. It gives details on safety and why you should always consult your local GP before taking the advice from a homeopath and things like that. And I especially like the last section, which is titled, quote, What can we conclude from the evidence?" Mm -hmm. And I will quote a a, a little passage here from that, uh, which really, I think, is to the point. So, quote, the ideas that underpin homeopathy aren't accepted by mainstream science and aren't consistent uh, with long accepted principles on the way the physical world works, end quote. and a little later it says, quote, for example, many homeopathic remedies are diluted to such an extent that it's unlikely that there's a single molecule of the original substance remaining in the final remedy. in cases like these, homeopathic remedies consists of nothing but water end quote. so that's what we've been saying all along, but it's very good when it comes from an authority like this. And um, it's amazing that with these, this information being known and clear, how many people still swears by homeopathy? That's It's really strange. And, it's, and certainly some people may not have heard it said like that. There's nothing but water. But I would say all practicing homeopaths must be aware of this, including the BHA. And the BHA, of course, being the British Homeopathic Association and not the British Horse Racing Authority, (laughs) (laughs) which is an easy mistake to make. Take it from me. But uh, Mm. (laughs) still, homeopaths, they cling to their nonsense. And that's why it's so important for an organization like the NHS to be very clear in their communication. So
0: good on them. Yeah, Uh, I like the fact that uh, when at at the beginning they put that the word treatment about homeopathy between uh, quotation marks yes in quotes so yeah i think that shows a lot yeah. yes some people call it a treatment <laughs> yeah right but we don't we don't
1: <laughs> no uh, so for not beating around the bush when it comes to information about the bogus nonsense that is homeopathy the nhs gets today's prize for being really right mm-hmm. good
0: i like it Crop circles are so intricate and complex, it is not possible for humans to make them.
2: You're not really getting the complete holistic birth experience unless you eat your placenta. I mean, animals do it, and Mother Nature always knows best.
0: Of course the world is haunted by ghosts and demons. It explains so much so easily that I barely have to do any thinking. I've watched a whole lot of flat earth
1: videos on YouTube. You know, they convinced me. It's all a conspiracy. There's no way we live
0: on a spinning ball.
2: We all have friends and family who believe these things and much more. Well, if you're a rational thinker who is tired of arguing on social media and never getting anywhere, we have a solution for you.
0: Join the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia team, and we will teach you how to add reliable scientific and skeptical information to the world's number one source of information, Wikipedia.
2: We write new articles and improve existing ones.
0: We remove pseudoscience, paranormal, and alt-med claims substituting the actual facts. And we operate in many languages.
2: We've already reached tens of millions of people searching for information, but as you can imagine, we can never do enough. So please join us. All you need is a PC and the desire to help educate the planet.
0: In fact, you'll be educating the world while you sleep. Contact us at team at gmail.com. Guerrilla Skepticism. The, the time is now. Is now. Music by purpleplanet.com. All right. So, I think we are nearly at the end of the show. That means that all we need to finish on is a quote. Have you got something for us, Yelena?
2: I do. So... Today's quote is from Thomas Henry Huxley.
0: Mm. Huxley, Darwin's bulldog. Nice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he was an English biologist and anthropologist specializing in comparative anatomy. He said, "The known is finite; the unknown infinite. Intellectually, we stand on an islet in the midst of." Illimitable ocean of inexplicability. Our business in every generation is to reclaim a little more land to add something to the extent and the solidity of our
1: possessions. Ooh, very poetic. It is very poetic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Reclaiming a little more land. That... No, sorry.
1: He was a very uh, yeah. eloquent p- person. And uh, that's why we call him Darwin's bulldog. He was very good in arguing for Darwin's position.
0: Yeah. And by reclaiming a little more land, I think he uh, mostly refers to God losing a little bit of land and ground and uh, science gaining more and more ground Correct. and taking it away from yeah. God. So uh, he was an, an avid proponent of the idea of the God of the gaps. Yep. Mm. And uh, he, was. he was very enthusiastic about science and, filling in those gaps yep. and hmm. pushing out god good man <laughs> Good man. <laughs> and he he was a because he was specializing in comparative anatomy he knew exactly what darwin was talking about hmm. when when he was finding those similarities and finding those lineages in uh the the, the history of uh the species so he knew exactly what what was going on Alright. Alright. Thank you very much, Yelena. Alrighty. And thanks to both of you for joining me today, Yelena and Pontus. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you. It's been fun. Yes, it has. Doing this together again. And thanks to our listeners as usual for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Paka pa. Hey does Aren't you a bit fixated on killing them? <laughs> <I> think so. <laughs> Just kill them all. <laughs> you probably shouldn't uh, announce that in public, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I- I'll have to do something about that in post. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the env- I envira- envi environment
0: environmentalist.
2: Envir.
1: This one. Re- <laughs> <laughs> it was all Russians' uh-huh. fault. You know that. Yeah. An ophthalmia. I said it once.
0: <laughs> hey, door. Okay. Hey, window. <laughs> Very good.
2: Hey, window. Hey door.